Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 with Pastor John King. And to make a new race of people comprised of all who would trust in Christ as Savior. That's the church. So with the mystery revealed, Paul would also declare the purpose of the mystery. By preaching about the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles, this fellowship would reveal on a grand scale the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God. So completely hidden by God that even the angels and all the hosts of heaven and spirits of darkness would learn only of it through the very lives of you and I. You see, they're watching us. They're, they are sitting in amazement even now at this present time saying, why are all these people, you know, it's really it's an instruction for the angels to see the saints of God, the church of God all around the world right now. They're, they're watching and they are amazed. Now this week, as I said, we're going to conclude chapter 3. Paul is going to resume his prayer. He's going to resume his prayer for the church. And he's going to pray that the church would now comprehend and experience the love of Christ and the power of God. You know, it's one thing to talk about it and let the words come in one ear and out the other. It's a whole other thing to take it in, to, to comprehend it, but even better yet, to experience the love of God. And the power of God. That's a whole other level that he's wanting us to go. And of course, all of this to the glory of God. Now this is Paul's second great prayer for them in this letter. And the first time he prayed, it was for their enlightenment. You remember it from verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1. He prayed for spiritual knowledge and a full understanding of how the resurrection power applied to us. How the power of Christ being risen actually now applies to the church. Then he's made us his internal inheritance. And what helps us is we get to know God better. We get to know God beyond just simply our salvation. His promises. And, and also recognizing the preeminence of Christ. In other words, he sits high above the heavens. And we have a seat. We're seated there with him. And again, as I started this uh, teaching in Ephesians, you know, the whole thing was about renewing your mind because we're so bound to the things we see. And he wants us to open our spiritual eyes. Now today, the prayer of, uh, the prayer of Paul's prayer today is the focus on being able, enablement, if you will. It puts us now in a new position. Not only a deeper understanding, but a greater capacity for more and more of his working power in our lives. More and more, and some people would say three times, more and more and more of his working power. And the ability to apply these truths to our lives, to be equipped. And then the rest of Ephesians is going to cover until the very end. It's going to cover the human relationships, okay? Uh, when we start in chapter 4, church leaders in the church. Relationships between family members, husbands and wives, employers and employees. And then finally, we're going to finish this great letter with a, a, a half of a chapter on spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. One writer put it this way. It's not so much a matter of knowing as being. It's not so much a matter of knowing as being. Laying our hands on what God has for us and by faith, 
making it a vital part of our lives. Paul is saying, in effect, I want you to get your hands on wealth, realize how vast it is, and then start to use it. Amen? Let's look at our passage for today, verse 14 of chapter 3. Paul writes, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then that famous benediction, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for bringing us to this place where we can hear your word being taught, Lord God. Teach us all. Teach me here as we speak, Lord God. Thank you that you prepared this time for us, that you set aside this time that we can hear from you in a special way. May it renew us and refresh us and strengthen us and convict us, Lord to be able to make this a reality, this truth of the gospel, this family of God, this, this heavenly uh, presence that we actually have with Jesus in the highest of heavens, this spiritual temple of the body of Christ, the mystery that's been revealed. Help us, Lord, increase our capacity to understand the things that you have for us so that we might be full of you, Lord, full of Jesus in today and for all of our days. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So Paul starts out with his prayer. Um, he's going to recognize, you know, God's grace. He's going to, as we go through these two verses, he's going to recognize God's grace, his wisdom, and God's authority. It's, it's going to be similar to what he does at the end where he recognizes all those things, but he also reverences God. And so as we receive from God, it should cause a change in our hearts. He says in verse 14, for this reason, or for this account, and I, I need to tell you that, uh, why is he saying for this reason? Well, what reason is he talking about? Well, if you remember from last week's message, starting with verse 2 all the way to 13, that was sort of like a, I don't want to call it a rabbit trail, but Paul started to pray, and then he wanted to go ahead and speak about the mystery of the church. And so now he's resuming his prayer. Some would say he got sort of sidetracked. But if he did get sidetracked, it, it was certainly a Holy Spirit rabbit, rabbit trail. Uh, because why? Well, we know from 2 Timothy 3.16, you know it for yourself, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That's a memory verse for a lot of us. But here we see four, right away we see four aspects of, of Paul's prayer. He says, for this reason, and we're talking verses one and two, he says, for this reason, and then it, notice that it drove him to his knees. I bow my knee. I bow my knees. Notice also that it, it addresses God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. And, of course, it addresses God as the Father of all believers. But he says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a humble and an earnest petition with reverence. Reverence before the Father. Now, um, it's appropriate, I believe, to talk about a couple things. Let's talk about, as Christians, let's talk about prayer posture and prayer petition. Because some people make a, maybe an overemphasis or maybe there's an underemphasis on our posture when we pray. But we need to know, whenever you talk about whether you're sitting or you're driving in your car or you're on your knees praying before the Lord or you're standing and you're worshiping the Lord, whatever you're doing, whatever body position you have, your posture, it's way less important than your attitude. In other words, the posture of your heart. But even so, posture is not irrelevant. We say we have tons of examples in the Bible where uh, you know, Paul and, and, and Solomon and Daniel and Peter and, of course, Jesus were on their knees praying to the Father. And so we don't want to overemphasize it. We can't you know, un diminish it. Um, for some, it, it's not physically possible now to get on their knees. I mean, we know that that can happen. And we're not the type of church that you know, kneels and stands and kneels and stands, so we don't do that either. But it's, it's something that we want to keep a balanced biblical view about. But remember, the most important thing is the posture of your heart. How is that lining up? Because that's, what, that's the prayer that God hears, even if you're praying with your eyes wide open and your eyes up to heaven like Jesus did on several occasions. The other thing is our prayer petition. How do we address God? Now, Jesus, we know he gave his disciples instruction in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. And he emphasized, the, again, the proper attitude about prayer throughout all of his teaching. In other words, it shouldn't be a public spectacle or it shouldn't be vain repetition, is what he, he wanted to make clear. But when he did instruct them to pray, Matthew 6, 9, he says, In this manner, therefore, pray. And then he went on, you know, the, the, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He went on with that. So when it comes to the proper Christian prayer, if you will, and again, I believe God offers tons of grace here. And we actually have some scriptures that indicate people praying directly to Jesus. But I mean, you know, if you pray to the Lord Jesus, especially as kids, you know, Lord Jesus, help me, all that stuff, that is Totally appropriate, okay? Don't get me wrong. But generally speaking, the proper Christian prayer is that we ought to pray to the Father through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. So we include all of the Godhead with that when we do that. Now, Paul's going to point away from prayer posture, and he says, To the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 15, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, he's, he's recognizing, Paul, he's recognizing that the Father is the source and who is sovereign over all. The Father is the one who planned these things from before time began, from all of eternity. This is a, what we, he says, the whole family. You have that Greek word, patria. Uh, it's a fatherhood, and it speaks of a family. And we talked about the family of God. Now, some say, and, and you can see it a couple ways here, some would say that Paul was referring to the whole family of God, Jews and Gentiles alike, who are all related to him through Jesus Christ. 
by the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. And I agree, this has been the whole point of the letter up until now. So this mysterious union of all believers in Christ becomes the basis of Paul's prayer. That's what Chuck Swindoll wrote, and I agree. But others would say, you know what, you can, you can look at it in a bigger sense, if you will, when you talk about mankind. He's the great original. Every, over, every other fatherhood is but a copy. Adam is called the son of God, referring to his creation. Believers are the sons of God by rebirth. All men are not children of God by nature, though. Instead, they are children of disobedience and children of wrath. We read that earlier in this letter. But as creator, God is the father of each man. However, but as savior, he is only the father of those who believe. So you're back to the same situation, really. There is no such thing in Scripture as a universal fatherhood of God that saves all men. You know, there's not this universal approach. You have to come through the Son. You must be born again, John 3, 7. But, you know, as we start this prayer uh, from Paul, and we start to read these first couple of verses, do you sense the emotion of Paul's prayer? You know, it sure seems to me that Paul was struck by the power of, of the revelation that God had given him. And that's why he's very specific to say, I bow my knees. And it's a good question for you and I. Uh, how often do you and I fall on our knees because of God's word, what God's word's saying to us, what God's speaking to us? How often do we come before him? Not just in the emergency situations where life is really bad, but there's you know, opportunities for us. And he, he want, as, we, as we become our spiritual capacity to take in God's truth and his love for us, I suppose that would be something that you may see more often. I don't know. I know I've been told, I've, I've sensed the Lord telling me I need to spend more time with him by myself. And a lot of times, time with the Lord by yourself is, is you know, prayer on your knees. Hughes writes this. He says, how beautiful is it to see a man go to his knees because of God's word? There's a message here for those of us who are preachers of his word. How easy it is to be like a railroad conductor who after daily shouting out destinations imagines that he has actually been there but has no idea what really lies behind his own words. It's also a message to all who listen to Paul's prayer with a ho-hum attitude. So he's got something for all of us. Now, Paul knew he was praying to the God who would listen and answer his prayer, the one true God, the only living God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul senses the truth of God's word, and he sits under the fatherhood. He rests. Are you at rest today? Are you at peace, knowing that God is your Father? Do you sense that peace that, you know, things... I mean. You know, you consider the fact that from beginning of all eternity, he had a plan for you. You know, you're not just one of the masses of people. You're not just the sea of humanity. He sees you individually, each and every person. And if he's your father, you sense that, I don't know, that, that security, if you will, that strength. And some of you may have had difficult situations with your earthly father that can prevent that. And I pray that you would learn how to let that go, that you would still receive God the Father and that you maybe need some counseling. Some, some, you know, counseling is a good thing to be reminded 
of who he is. But now we're going to start Paul's prayer list, and it's going to start, it's going to cover basically four things strength, love, understanding, and fullness. That's his prayer list. And it's his prayer list for the church and for himself. Think about your prayer list. We'll talk more about that later. But he says, praying that they would be strengthened through the Spirit. Praying that they would be rooted and grounded in love. Praying that they would comprehend the immensity of Christ's love. And praying that they would be filled with God's own fullness. And so as we look at this prayer, you'll notice that it all deals with the spiritual condition, the inner man. Not that physical needs are unimportant to God. We know that, church. We know that, okay? And our recent prayer time bears witness to that as a church. And you know what I'm talking about. But Paul's emphasis seems to point to where the need is greatest in all of us. The need is greatest in all of us. And so in verse 16, he says he prays that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. In other words, strength that has no limit. Not from his riches, which are vast and uncalculatable. Is that a word? Um, but from, excuse me, as according to. In other words, proportional to his riches. To be strengthened with might. That means to grow strong with moral power and holiness. Through his spirit in the inner man. Strength that is formed by the Holy Spirit in your life. You've heard it said, you know, it's, it's what's inside that counts, right? It's what's inside that counts. From a physical standpoint, a person needs to be strong and healthy to fight diseases and sickness and discomfort. But from a spiritual standpoint, Christians need to be strengthened with power and made strong and healthy in order to withstand the effects of temptation and sin, trouble and trials, problems and circumstances, and the list goes on. Paul is praying with words that help you and I, that help us to be strengthened. That if we will take in and embrace these truths, again, you've got to have faith. You've got to have faith. We will be strong enough spiritually to receive the blessings God desires for us. The strength that we're talking about does not come from psychological gimmicks. It doesn't come from motivational seminars. It begins in the heart and grows by faith. It begins in the heart and grows by faith. When we put Christ at the center of our lives, the more we will be conformed to his image, the more we will be like him. In verse 16, he prayed that we would receive God according to the riches of his glory, not merely from his riches. We said, this distinction is important because our spiritual capacity to take in what God has needs to be enlarged. You know, we need to have a bigger container, if you will, spiritually. One writer quotes a guy named Stuart Briscoe. He says, we need to be like the little boy who was heard to say when he fell into a barrel of molasses, Lord, make my capacity equal to this opportunity. 
you know. But he was praying. He goes on. Next he says he prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Again, this spiritual strength is tied to faith in Christ. Not the fact that a believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit at salvation. That's already a reality. That's already a reality. We want to grow past that. Paul is asking for spiritual growth. So that Christ would now be at home in your heart. And he would live in a permanent sense. Look, we can make the Lord very uncomfortable with how we choose to live our lives. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. And what, what he's saying here is, look, you want to get to the point where the Lord feels at home in your heart, that you're totally devoted to him, that you're totally always aware and conscious of Christ within you, that you would let Christ control your life and guide you permanently and constantly. Why? Because Jesus is at home in your heart. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now Paul uses two metaphors to describe what we call a lifestyle of love. A lifestyle of love. First of all, that you be rooted in love. Like healthy trees, of which I don't have very many, our lives are meant to submerge deep into the soil of God's love. It's not supposed to be superficial and fake, just on the surface only. We need to be rooted in, in love with Christ, and for one another. Psalm 1, 1, 3, uh, verse 3 says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf is also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. He also says that we should be grounded in love, like a properly constructed building. Our lives are to be built on a foundation of love. Stable and established. Not here today and gone tomorrow. Not based on our emotions. Unconditional agape love. And that's Paul's prayer for the saints at Ephesus. Are you praying that for one another? Consider your prayer list. This is an awesome template, if you will, for how we pray for our church, for our loved ones, for ourselves. Matthew 7, 24 and 25, it says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Next, he prays for supernatural comprehension of Christ's love. Verse 18 he says that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Now to comprehend means to have full strength. You know, to take the full strength of what God has to offer. And you think, how am I ever going to do that? But being established in a lifestyle of love allows God to open the doors of understanding into our hearts. And then he says a famous verse. He says, what is the width and length and depth and height? Now this is referred to as the four magnitudes. The width. It's a love that's wide enough to embrace the world. We sang today, this morning, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's that. It's wide. It's the length. 
A love, according to Spurgeon, a love that is long enough to last forever. Spurgeon says, it is so long that your age cannot wear it out. So long your continual tribulation cannot exhaust it. Your successive temptation shall not drain it dry. Like eternity itself, it knows no bounds. So the width and the length, and what about the depth? Deep enough to take Christ to the very depths to reach the lowest sinner. And how about the height? We talked about the height, the, the summit, the top. A love that's high enough to take all sinners to heaven if they'll come to Jesus and place you at the highest place, sitting next to the one who has all dominion and power. Another way to look at this is just look at the cross. Look at the cross. God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. And God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. And he says, to know the love that which passes knowledge. Now this is challenging because we can't personally know what is beyond knowledge. And this touches on the difference between intellect and experience. We live mainly, and unfortunately for all of us, mainly we live in our intellect when it comes to the things of God. Even if my mind can't wrap, wrap around, uh, itself around something that's true, okay, even if my intellect can't receive it, I can still experience it. One writer said it this way. He says, for those who have not experienced this love, we're talking about the love of God and the, and the vastness of it, no words will suffice. And for those who have experienced it, no words will quite do. You see, it's beyond. Passes knowledge. Passes our intellect. Keep in mind that Jesus' disciples sat at his feet for three years. Receiving instruction day in and day out when they were with the Lord. Could you imagine that? All the questions and answers that were provided for them. But he said in John, we don't have a slide for this, in John 16, he said, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come. This indicates that until the Spirit came and lived with inside them, certain truths they could not comprehend, but we're in a different place right now. We have that advantage, if you will, over those apostles and disciples who sat at Jesus' feet. Until they became filled with the Holy Spirit, of course. And so the result of all of this that we're talking about, when you start to ponder just the vastness of God's love, the width, the depth, the height, the length, you start to be filled to the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 19. He says, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Remember we said increasing your spiritual capacity for the things of God. That's, he's prayed for strength first so that this could happen. Again, which passes knowledge. It, it exceeds, it's, it transcends understanding. 
Your entire soul being infused, if you will, imagine that, with the fullness of God. Not only strengthened for a great spiritual capacity for understanding, but that you would be filled with the fullness of God. Not just that your mind could be satisfied. Now, from a human perspective, that's an impossibility. We know that. We often say here from 2 Peter 3.18, you know, but but go and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. A mini doxology. But notice, go and grow. Go and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. As our capacity is strengthened, we become full of Christ, as we said. Interesting take on this. I think it's, it's very appropriate for some of us, as we're, some of us are, I think, uh, celebrating a birthday today. And some of us will celebrate a birthday in a couple of weeks. And we're getting older, right? Hughes writes this. He said, the Holy Spirit orchestrates the endowment from the strength, which is freely given to us according to the scale of his riches. And we are renewed and empowered for life. And we grow stronger and stronger even while our bodies grow old. You don't think of aging in that way, typically, do you? You do not think of that that way. We are frail containers, he says, pulsating with divine power. Yeah, okay. That's what's going on. As we grow in the Lord, it doesn't matter. You know, we don't have to worry about that uh, That song, you know, uh, mind makes a promise that your body can't fill or whatever, that old, you know, those things that are, we're going to, we come into that reality, we come to understand that truth, but at the same time, we can be pulsating with divine power. Why? Because we've increased our spiritual capacity to receive the things of God. So getting old is is not for for the faint, okay? It's not for the weak-hearted, but it's not that bad either, is it? Not from a spiritual perspective. So, as I said earlier, here we have a very meaningful prayer that we can employ for one another. Why not? Why not add this prayer, get this prayer, and sit down and start to write this out and use it as part of your daily prayer? Pray pray the scriptures, folks. It is such a wonderful thing you can do. Now, why would Paul, you kind of come back to the question, okay, why would Paul pray that we would grasp what is beyond all measure? Why would he do that? And here's my opinion, okay, here's my opinion. To motivate us to go beyond our head head knowledge. To go beyond head knowledge of God. Of course, God provided us with the intellect and our facilities, if you will, uh, and we are to use them. But intellect alone without the work of the Spirit prevents the supernatural knowledge. It prevents the supernatural things we talk about. The things we actually do believe in this church, supernatural spiritual gifts, gifts of healing, gifts of words of knowledge. We actually believe those things, but our intellect gets in the way. My intellect gets in the way all the time. And he's saying, you know, let's let's get past that. Chuck Smith wrote this when he, when he taught this passage back in the 80s. He said, so many people are looking for heaven to bring them so many radical changes in their lives. In other words, they're waiting for heaven. They're waiting to get there. But you see, God wants to make those radical changes right now so that heaven 
will not be a shocking kind of transition for you. God is working in us now. Those eternal things as he is preparing us for the eternal kingdom. Amen. 2 Peter 1, 2 and 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which you have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That those, that through these promises you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He wants to do a work in us right now. And prayer changes things, folks. Prayer changes things. Finally, Paul's reverence and God's wisdom, power, and glory. Having prayed for what you and I need to become, okay, Paul now directs our attention to, the, to who God is and what he can do in this famous doxology, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think, again, he says, recognize. Recognize his incomprehensible wisdom and power. Exceedingly abundantly. Beyond all the, you know, what's your mind, what our mind kind of runs to a dead end and stops. What's wrong with laying down and taking a nap or getting ready to go to bed and thinking about the shape of the cross and the width and the height and the depth of his love? What's wrong with putting those things in your mind and recognizing it? And then according to the power that works in us, again, that energio to be active in us. The inexp- uh, Swindoll says the inexhaustible power of the Holy Spirit does work within us. As he meditates his miraculous abilities, excuse me, mediates his miraculous abilities to us through the church. And he says, to him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Reverence of his glory in the church forever and ever. As we close, let's take a few things, just a few thoughts with us, okay, as we begin to close for today. I like how one writer summed up this entire passage very simply. First, we need to claim Christ's strength. We need to claim it. When we've lost our energy and motivation in our walk with Christ, we can remember that he wants to empower us. Second, we need to remember that we're loved. You know, we live in a a hateful world, a hateful society, and sometimes we're pretty hateful ourselves. But we need to remember that we are loved by the Father. And when we come before the Lord in prayer, we should never forget that His love for us is perfect. We let each other down all the time in that area. But with the love of God ever present in our minds, we can expect, or we can accept, excuse me, with his love in our mind, we can accept sometimes unanswered prayers. Knowing that God's desire is not to ruin us, but to work out his plan in our lives for his glory and for our good. Finally, we need to rest entirely in him and not in ourselves. 
You know, take a break. You and I need to take a break and rest in his goodness and not be trusting in our own works. Not trying to white knuckle our way through difficult times in our lives. Let's bow our head and pray. Father, we thank you for today's message, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the promises that you give us. May they be fuel for our life as we walk with you this week and all the days of our lives, Lord God. Your richness and your graciousness and your promises are so good. And we can bank on that in an eternal bank account. You fill us up when we're dry. You strengthen us when we're weak. You anoint us with oil. You pray over us. You love us. And your desire is that we would be more and more filled with you. That we might be more and more like you. And we thank you, Lord, for your promises. Please go before each and every one of us, each and every family that's represented here. Lord, will you bless them? Will you bless that family that couldn't make it today, that's struggling, Lord? Will you bless that family that's struggling with illness or sickness or financial problems, Father? Will you go before those who maybe they think they've just reached the end and they're frustrated and they don't know what to do next? Will you minister to their hearts? Thank you, Lord, that you go before us. We pray all this now in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people say, amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.